recognize him as the song says. Is there no greater treasure than Christ himself in your life? Oh, it didn't say that there were other things that you treasure. But is there no greater treasure? Is there, is there, is there anything with greater value in your life than the relationship you have with Christ and growing in that? Thank you, praise team and choir, for directing our minds and our hearts towards God and Him alone. <clears throat> it's where our hearts and our minds should be. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're finishing off what has been called in this part of the series we are in in the Sermon on the Mount. Characteristics of the Kingdom is our thought for the whole series, but this particular set of messages were on the Beatitudes, and we were talking about this being the blessed life. We know today in our society so many things that people call blessings. I have to ask, are they really blessings from the Lord, or are they just His hand of mercy, or just that the rain that is falling on the just and the unjust? But that there is a blessed life, and we've heard about that this morning. I mean, we've, we've heard over the last few weeks, we've heard segments of that blessed life. We heard in the beginning that this whole blessed are the poor in spirit, that we come offering nothing and realizing how bankrupt we are. And then we heard about mourning and that those who mourn over both their sin and the sin in the world that they see that leaves it in the way that it does, and then... We wonderfully heard last week from Minister Wright as he walked through four more of those. When he walked through, blessed are the meek, those that are gentle, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You crave after righteousness or living the right life in Christ, the one in which he wants that righteousness that only he gives and that he has called us to, you crave it like food and water. He said, blessed are they who, blessed are the merciful, and then blessed are the pure in heart. And these are all characteristics of the person that has gained entrance into the kingdom and are representatives, even citizens, of the kingdom of God. And then we get to the last two in here that we see as he rounds out this list that seems to be upside down, seems to be countercultural, doesn't make sense. I'm wondering what the people that were standing there hearing this thought as he talked about what it meant to be a part of the kingdom, and none of them were things that people in the society valued at that time. And yet they were solid foundational characteristics of what God's kingdom would be like. That kingdom that was there and yet not fully realized, the, the rain that had come and yet that rain was not totally complete. 
in that it wasn't, it wasn't realized or seen, but his reign was established and complete in that it was God's reign. And so we get the last two. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read verses 9 through 12. And read with me together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. I'm going to put a title for this message today, Peacemakers and the Persecuted. Peacemakers and the Persecuted. As this list is rounded out, I hope that you've begun to see that this was also kind of a progression as to what was happening, how, how, how God says that citizen in the kingdom unfolds of how their character unfolds of how it now is, is, is demonstrated and how they grow, what they value. We talked about characteristics for a while that every home in, represented in this place has characteristics. There are things that you value. There are things that... that that distinguish your family from another. There are characteristics of churches. There are characteristics of schools, of employers. Every place has things that they kind of hold dear, and some they hold dearer than others, based on the mission of the organization or based on the makeup of the family. And so we see here God, no different, says that there are characteristics of this kingdom that he says was coming. Remember, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand or is coming upon you. It is dawning. And that kingdom that we would see would not be this physical kingdom, <clears throat> but it would be a reign of God that would one day be realized as a physical kingdom, as the completion of what God was doing has come about. And so now Jesus sets it out that he starts to tell from the beginning what, the, what will distinguish his kingdom from every other kingdom and would, and would establish his kingship as different from any other king. And the first thing we, we saw was that the entrance was be different than any kingdom, is that you didn't rise to the top to get into this kingdom, is that you bowed in humility and broken to enter this kingdom. And then now we're at the end. If you looked at this, all of these characteristics that we saw were things, were, were the characteristics that would make that person rise in God's kingdom and be able to be used. And we get to the bottom, and these two, many times, these two are glossed over. Not a whole lot of time spent 
One of them because one of these characteristics we see as something that will never be attained. We Something that you hear maybe at a beauty pageant when the contestant says, what do you want? I want world peace. And is seen as this idealized but never to be attained wish and hope for our world that is unstable and that is not experiencing peace that is always at war. And so for us, peace is seen as this kind of fabled wish that no one will ever attain. Or if it is peace, we only have it just for a little while before we all start fighting again. And in the other one, no one wants to recognize, and that's persecution. And Jesus says, and he actually spends several verses on persecution and talks about how blessed you are when this happens. And none of us, we, we kind of finish this off thinking, yeah, okay, let me hurry up and finish these few verses because I really don't understand what he's talking about and I really don't want to. Because no one is looking for persecution. And I'm surely not considering myself blessed when it happens. But yet Jesus rounds out the values of the kingdom with these last two. And let's look at it. See, in our world, we do want, in our world, we do desire peace. As a matter of fact, there is an international award given out every year. For those that are pursuers of peace, we call it the Nobel Peace Prize. And it is given out by man to man for those that in some way have helped the process of peace in our world in some way. And yet, we seem to be getting worse and worse. We give out this award. This award is given out every year, and, and yet it seems that peace is so elusive, not only internationally, but locally in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives. Peace is not what describes many people. But I want to look at two things. I want to look at the life of a passionate peacemaker, and then I want to look at the those that are persecuted, those that are persecuted with a purpose. One of the things I want you to realize with a passionate peacemaker is, is this, that they are peace. Scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. Understand, this, word, this is the only place in Scripture where this word is actually mentioned peacemaker. It is someone not who keeps peace that's there. It is someone who brings about peace because of who they are and what they do. These people, now, not only do they, do they, do they end hostilities, but these are people that, 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 that seek it. They bring people together. But let's look at that for a second because the root word in this peacemakers is a Greek word, irony. And it really means, really, it's been used in three different ways. One of the ways is the absence of war. That's what we think about a lot when we think peace. It is the absence of hostility. It's the absence of fighting. 
And yes, it does mean that. But then also it looks at this tranquility, this calmness of mind and of heart and soul. Yes, it means that also because it's used in Scripture in that way. But then also it means wholeness, completeness. And I'm going to use a word that's been hijacked today. And we only think of it in one way when that word is used. So wholeness, completeness, and prosperity. But that word prosperity, we automatically go to, to the material. And although that is a part of that definition, it is not at the core of that definition. That prosperity means a completeness in what's been happening. So that word peace comprises, it, it, it encompasses wholeness and completeness, the absence of war or the end of hostility and tranquility and calmness. And, and, and that word has been used in all three instances in Scripture. And so when it says, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who, yes, who, 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 make, who seek to end hostilities, those who seek and make tranquility and calmness, and those who help bring people together to bring about completeness and wholeness. And you go, wow, that's a lot. That's a tall order. Who on earth can do that? And God says it is representative. It is commonplace in the kingdom. So what about peacemakers should we know that will help us to see if we are? Well, one of the things that we must realize critical about peacemakers, peacemakers have first been brought to peace with God. See, you and I can't be about the job of making peace if we've not been made peace with. And I would say the reason why there is a lack of peace in our world and the reason why, I'll even bring it closer to home, the reason why we are not peacemakers individually is because we either have not made peace with God ourselves or we've not grown in peace in God. Our lives are still in turmoil, so how on earth am I going to make peace in your home when I can't even have it in my home? How am I going to make peace in your life when my life is unsettled and unstable and there's no peace? So I gloss over it because I don't have it. But I think what we sometimes fail to realize is that this issue of peace, this irony, this tranquility, this calmness, this completeness and wholeness, this absence of hostility, we don't realize how central it is to the life of the believer. Don't believe me, Luke 2.14 tells us that when they were announcing the birth of Christ, and sometimes we get this messed up, it says... Peace on earth. Goodwill to those to whom, with whom he is pleased. The announcement of Christ was part of that announcement was peace was coming. What kind of peace? Well, part of that peace was that we 
were at war with God. We were against him. We were his enemy, that we were standing opposed to God. And I would say God was standing opposed to us. See, I know we thought we were friends when we came to God, that somehow he was cool with us. And we just kind of came in and said, now I'm ready to be your real close buddy, Lord. God says, no, you were my enemy. You were on the precipice, if it wasn't for Christ, of me totally annihilating and destroying you. There wasn't anything about you that could stand before me, but I loved you enough that I did something to bring peace. Now, we have to understand, when we talk about peace in our world from the absence of war, peace comes when there are terms made. There was a movie that was out a while ago, and I like this one scene in it. The movie was called The Kingdom of Heaven, I believe. And in it, it was the whole story of this fighting during the days of the crusade and the overrun of Jerusalem. And that was not the kingdom of heaven at all, but there's this one scene in it where they knew that Jerusalem was going to be overrun and taken over, that the Islamic armies were standing outside and there was no way that they could. And of course, there is a little twist because he, he, he kind of thinks he has a position of strength in that, in that the guy who was trying to defend Jerusalem says to the Islamic leader, you may win, but I will decimate your army here. See, that's not where this example stands like God. You aren't doing anything. I'm not doing anything against God. I can't decimate his armies. But here's what he says. He says, what are your terms? He said, what are your terms for peace? He says, I don't bring terms. I want to hear your terms. And for us, in order to be at peace, to no longer be hostile with God, God says, here are my terms. My terms is that you receive what my son has done for you. His death now becomes internalized, personalized. You take it as your own. You realize you can't come to me with terms. God, I'll be at peace with you if you do this for me. God says, I'm not listening to your terms. You are not in a position of strength. You, you, are, you are about to be overrun, and it is nothing but my love and my grace and my mercy that is standing here saying, I've got terms for you to have peace with me. And so peacemakers first understand the terms that brought peace, and they respond to them obediently. The second thing that they understand is that peacemakers understand that they, they have received the peace that Jesus gives. John 14, 27, he said there, he said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. He says, but I give it. He says, he, in, he, he says my peace I give, and hopefully his peace we take. Some of us today, we have not experienced the peace of God because we've not taken the peace of God. We are not 
on his side. We are waiting for God to join our side. We are waiting to, for God to back our plans. We are waiting for God to settle on what we're doing. And God is saying, I can't because if I do that, you will not have what you want. What you desire is embedded in me. But first, you have to be at peace with me. Not only have peacemakers received the peace of Christ, then they've allowed the peace from Christ to rule their hearts. And when we say heart, Colossians 3.15, when we say hearts, that is, that is the center of your decision-making. That is your decision of, 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 of the rule in your life, of your will, of your, of, your, of your emotions. When the Scripture talks about the heart, that is the center of who you are. And so for some of us, yes, we have received the peace of Christ that he gives, but we've not allowed that peace that tranquility of spirit that I'm no longer at war with God. We've not allowed it to rule in the decision centers of our life. We live our lives as if we are unsettled with God, like we're still enemies against God, like we've not come to terms with who God is. And so we live these unsettling lives, angry, and wondering why we can't be at peace with others. We can't because we're not at peace with God. And so he says to us in Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, indeed to which you were called. Hear that. God says, when I called you to myself, I called you to a life of peace. Why aren't we experiencing it? is because we refuse to let it rule us. How do I let the peace of Christ rule? What does God say about his relationship with you? Where do you stand with God? If you understood where you stood with Christ, you would be at peace. I'm not constantly fighting for my way because I know that his way is one that is rooted in what is best for me, even if it doesn't feel good. I'm at peace, I'm settled, I'm tranquil, I'm complete, I'm whole. I don't need anything else. Yes, I thank you for what you provide, God, but it's not required for me to be at peace. But boy, that is so elusive to many of us because we think we actually know better than God. No, God, if you give this to me, it will be better. And we live like that, and so we fight, and we live unsettled. And God says, peacemakers, know the nature and the value of peace. So peacemakers have first been brought to peace with God. And now because they've been brought to peace with God, they are people that are bent toward peace. King, these are kingdom citizens are now people that pursue peace. Why? Because they understand 
that now that they are at peace, they understand what it is, how it feels, what it has done in their lives, and they want that for everyone else. See, when you are at peace with God and when you are settled in who God is and thus who you are, you want everyone to experience it. But we're busy trying to tell people to come to Jesus and experience peace when our lives are so filled with war and fighting and we're not calm and we're not complete and whole and people are looking at us and be like, I don't want to be like that. But really, Jesus can change your life. And for some of us, people are saying, great, when he changes yours, let me know. See, the issue becomes, I will be a peacemaker. I will when I have tasted of being at peace with God. I don't have a problem then. I want everyone to know. I'm walking around people, hey, man, do you know you can be at peace with God? I do. Like, have you flipped out or something? Nah, man, really? Man, hey, have you experienced what it means to be at peace with God? And people are like, well, what is your issue with all this peace? Man, like, what are you in a beauty contest or something? I mean, no, no, really. You've got to understand, man. Boy, this quality of life. You mean, like, what did God give you? He didn't give me anything but his peace. You mean you're acting like this and he didn't hand you something? Yeah, he handed me his peace. It is at the core of who you are as a believer. If you are not experiencing the peace that Jesus gives, you are not experiencing why he called you. And so peacemakers are bent. They are sitting. These, these, these kingdom citizens, they are pursuing peace. The first peace is, is, is actually peace with God, Ephesians 6.15 Part of the armor of God, notice it says that the shoes, which is where you walk, he says everywhere you go, you bring the what? Gospel of peace. It is good news that you don't have to be at war with God anymore. That is the good news, y'all. We are telling people, you don't need to be against God anymore. You can actually be on his side. And so he says to us, these are people that are bringing people to a relationship of peace with God. These are people that peace is, peace with God is a priority. And so when I talk to people, I talk to them, hey, I've experienced something, man, that has just changed me. I'm not fighting with God anymore. I'm not mad with God. I'm not thinking that my kingdom is more important than his. He says, what I actually have is being in right relationship and on the right side with God. But not only peace with, not only do they seek to bring man to God, here's what they seek to bring. They seek to bring man with man. See, as a result, do you realize all the things that have happened first in order for you to have a good relationship with, with, with another person, <clears throat> it has to start internally first. If there's nothing happening in you that's a change inside internally, let me just guarantee you something. You will be fighting with other people because you will see them as the enemy. You will see them as getting in your way. You will see them as messing up your plan. You will, you will, you will see them as people that 
are just to be dealt with or to be used so that you can accomplish what you want to get. When you are not at peace with God, you are scrapping and fighting for everything in your life, including other people. And so the peacemakers, they only bring people to Christ making peace with God. They bring people together who are fighting. In Ephesians 2, we, we, we actually see that God has taken down the dividing wall. Yes, between us and them, but between one another. Because when he was talking about the dividing wall, part of what he was talking about was the wall, not only the Holy of Holies, but he was talking about the wall between the Gentiles and the Jews. There was in the court, in the temple, there was the court of the Gentiles, and it was separated by a wall, and the two could not mix. And God says he tore down the dividing wall. Yes, between him and us, but also between us and one another. And he said, then he says, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile. I tore that wall down. There's neither slave nor free. I tore that wall down. He said, there's neither male nor female. Now, he wasn't getting rid of gender. He was saying, it doesn't make a difference with me. Because I created it. I created them. He says, I tore it all down. So you can walk together so that peace is now man with man. And then they understand the responsibility of godly people. Psalm 34, 14. That scripture tells us to seek peace and pursue it. Look it out and chase it down. <clears throat> Look for it as if looking for treasure. Dig for it. You are always looking for the peace in a situation. These are not appeasers that just give people their way. No, through wisdom and through the fact of you know how God has made peace with you, you are always seeking to bring people together in wholeness and completion. You are not the center of the mess. Every time you show up, a fight starts. Every time you're there, people can't get along. You seem to be the spark in the gas. I mean, I'm sorry. You seem to be the match in the gasoline factory. Every time you walk in, you strike a flame. God says that is not the heart of a kingdom citizen. He said they seek peace and they run after it. And many of us, boy, we run away from it because as one of the old songs of the Jacksons, you got to be starting something. <laughs> and some of us, that is our motto, our mantra. I got to be starting something. And that's because in my life, I'm so unsettled. But then peacemakers are like their father. He says, they shall be called the sons of God. They should be called those that come from and are like God. Because isn't that what he did with us? God made peace with us in Christ. We are justified by faith now. We have peace with God in Christ. We have peace with God, made peace with us. And so now, because I'm like my father, I make peace with others. And then as we finish this off, bear with me on this one, boy. We have, 
purposefully persecuted. Kingdom citizens have to realize that they are persecuted because of their imitation of Jesus. In other words, why are these people, after all these things that are mentioned, why is it that he ends with persecution? Jesus tells you and I, because when you live like this, you are a target for this world's rage. They are not looking to talk highly about you. All of the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meekness, the mercy, the hunger and thirsting after righteousness, the pure heart, all these things make those who are the enemies of God mad. It's not winning you any popularity contest. You may actually lose some friends. You may actually leave and people walk away from you. God says, when you live like me, you will get the kind of response I got. And what kind of response did he get? What did John 15, 20 say? And put up here in a moment, John 15, 20. When we see this, look at what he says. If they hated me, they'll hate, they'll hate you. He says, if they persecuted me, They're going to persecute you. How did they treat Jesus, the perfection of humanity? Think about it. How did they treat Jesus? They killed him. Here is the one who healed sicknesses and disease. Here is the one who gave people back their dead. Here is the one who who cared for people and who fed 5,000 plus when they were hungry Here is the one who taught people how to connect with God. And he said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, boy, you better watch out. When you are like me, they're going to treat you like me. And we get mad when people are against us because of our faith and may make it fun. And he actually says, you're blessed. When they do this, why? Because you're like me. This world does not like those who are in the kingdom of God because they have their own kingdom where they are their own ruler. They are their own God. And here you come, Mr. Goody Two-Shoe Christian, messing it up. Every time I want to do something bad, there you are telling me what I can't or what I should not do. Every time I want to live for myself, I look at you living for God, and it's just so disgusting. It gets on my nerve. Every time I want to do my own thing, here you over here talking about doing your thing for God, and it's working. I hate you. God says, stop waiting for the world's approval. You will never get it unless you switch sides. And when you switch sides, hey, you have all the friends you want, but you'll be against me because that's where you started. And so he says, boy, kingdom citizens. But here's also, he, he, he now also says persecution is not just physical. Look at what he says. He says, when blessed are you, and then he gets in detail. Now, remember, all this he was saying, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed when, blessed are the merciful. In this last part, he actually changes the tense, and he goes from general to personal. 
This is the very last one. He says, blessed are you. And he's probably looking right at his disciples in front of him. Blessed are you. And see, these are not words that you put in the same sentence. Blessed are you when people revile. We don't use that word revile. It means to be insulted. It means to defame someone. And so it says, blessed are you when you are insulted, when you are defamed, when you are taunted, when you are railed against, and when you are accused falsely because of me. Can we take a step out and look into the future with what they did with Jesus that day? Remember when they taunted him, when they pulled his beard and said, who hit you since you are king of the Jews, since you are God, prophesy. They taunted him. They railed against him and called him all sorts of insults. He saved others. Why can't he save himself now? And boy, we get how they treated Christ. And really, that was a good clue about how they will treat you. And God says, when that happens, and in Acts they did, they said, rejoice and be glad. Hold on a second. I don't put those words in a sentence. When I'm insulted because of my life in Christ, not because I've done something insulting. When I'm, when I'm, when I'm spoken against, when I'm accused, it better be falsely, not that they have a good right to accuse me because I did it. God's not talking about that. He is saying that when, because of the way you choose to live righteously, people try to defame you, accuse you, they try to end you, they try to mess you up, God says, rejoice and be glad. What? That's usually not the time where I tell people to rejoice and be glad. We're talking about revenge and get even. I'm not talking about rejoice and be glad, but he says rejoice and be glad. Why? He says because you have a reward and it is great, but let me just help you out. It's not here. He says you may not see the end result of how you're living while you're living. You may actually not get to see it until my kingdom is complete. He says, great is your reward in heaven. And you're not looking for it here. As a matter of fact, what he does is that he sets their minds on the eternal. He sets their minds to eternity. He says, when you are eternally minded, you can handle what happens here in the temporal. You can, you can, you can handle some insults. You can handle some defaming. You, you, uh, Jesus, it says, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross and the shame, despising its shame. He wasn't on the cross saying, y'all just wait. I'm going to get every last one of y'all. Because he could have. He could have been like, three days from now, I'm getting up, and not one of y'all better be around. See, that would have been me, because I would have been like, I'm back. Where are y'all? I would have been looking for them, hunting them one by, like the movies, hunting them down one by one. Why are all them people disappearing? Jesus is back. But you know, he didn't do that. And so he set the example. See, I would have done that. But he sets the example, and he goes, 
Nah, I'm running things. All authority is given to me. Now go and bring these people to peace with me. Yeah, they're my enemies. I'm not trying to destroy them. There will be some that choose destruction, but you go and let them know that I don't want to fight with them. So you are willing to be persecuted. Why? Because I know that my reward is great. But not only is my reward great, look at what he says. He says, not only that, he says this, you're in good company. Your reward is great, but this is how they treated my representative, my mouthpieces, my prophets of old. He says, all throughout human history, this is how they treat the people of God. You are in good company. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're mine. He says, don't worry about how they treat you. As a matter of fact, he says at one point, Jesus says, don't fear the one who can kill the body. And you and I would be like, no, 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 Lord. I want to fear the one who can kill the body. No, no, I do. The one who can, the one who can kill the body, I fear. God says, Jesus said to him, don't fear him that can kill the body alone. He says, Here who, here's who you have fear for. He says, here's who you fear. You fear the one who, after killing the body, that's just a forethought. He throws you into hell. He says, now you're destroyed eternally. You, you, your life here isn't just over. Your eternity is lost. He says, fear the one who actually can do something about your eternity. God wants us eternally minded. You and I will never be peacemakers if all we have is here. You and I will never be people that can take persecution if all we have is here. If, if, if everything about our life ends here, you better fight for everything you get. You better scratch, claw, fight. You better tear down. You better not make friendships because this is all you have. But if you're living for something more, and if you are anchored into eternity, now you can live here on earth. I don't care if I lose that. Y'all don't know the reward I have in heaven. People say, oh, you into that by and by. Well, let me tell you, all this stuff is going bye-bye. Every, every last one of it here. And I'm going to be anchored to that which never goes away. Yeah, you got that fine car that you are one accident away from losing it. Yeah, you got that great house that you are one flame away or a job loss away and you can't pay the mortgage. Or maybe you paid it off in the taxes they raised and now you can't pay the taxes and they take your house. You are one event away. Yeah, I know you got everything together. You are one illness away from ending it all. Yeah, I know you got money, but boy, you are one crisis away. I worked for a mutual fund bank in 1987, I believe it was. Was it 89? Where they had the Black Monday. And I'll never forget, at the end of that day, looking out of our office building, we were right behind the Twin Towers, and someone had called us all over. And there, at the top of a parking deck, because she had jumped off one of the buildings, was a gray flannel suit of a woman that could not take the crash that had happened. Gray flannel jacket and gray skirt. I saw it before they covered her up. And I thought, 
when that's all you have. When it's gone, so are you. And he says, when you are anchored into eternity, you can handle anything this temporary throws at you. Because this is not where it ends. I know I've gone way beyond our time today, but guys, understand, peacemakers and the persecuted, both of them are citizens of the kingdom because they are one in the same. Will you make peace with others? You first need to be at peace with God. Will you allow yourself to be persecuted? It will be because you are anchored somewhere other than here. God has called his people to shine. The kingdom is countercultural. It is. The kingdom of God is countercultural. It is otherworldly. Will you be a part of it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that God, because of what you've done, Father, here's who we can be. Peacemakers. Called children of God, sons of God. We can be like 